0: I hand clapped this morning. It's good to see you guys. I love spending time with my church family. We've got a lot of stuff going on uh, that I want to let you know about. Uh, next week, November 14th, uh, several things to be aware of. We're having a QA and a session at 6 p.m. Uh, that This includes the majority of you. Uh, we used to do this before COVID. We do this fairly regularly. Um, but uh, this will be our first one since all the COVID stuff started. But we'll just gather and we'll kind of fill you in on our mission, vision, where we're heading, how you can participate, and then give you an opportunity to ask any questions that you might be curious about. And so uh, I'd encourage everybody to come for that next Sunday, 6 p.m. We will have child services available for that, so uh, don't let that keep you from coming. Also, next Sunday, uh, the Operation Christmas Child boxes, those little red shoe boxes that are in the foyer, it's a great ministry that we're glad to be a part of, and basically you just fill those boxes up with things that uh, would be helpful for a kid in a third world country, and we'll, we'll ship those off, and it's a, a great way to share the gospel with some kids that might not get a Christmas and, and might not have heard of Jesus before. And so if you picked up one of those boxes, they're due back next Sunday. We still have a few out there. If you haven't got a box yet, you can do that. Uh, but just fill those up and bring those back by next Sunday. Also, we are partnering with another church here in our community. Uh, We're going to do some Thanksgiving food boxes. Um, And so in order for us to accomplish that, I need for you guys to donate cans of corn, cans of green beans, gravy packets, and uh, potato sacks. So five-pound bag of potatoes. Uh, We're going to put boxes together the week. Uh, So starting next Sunday, we'll start putting boxes together. So, try and get those things uh, to us next Sunday. The very latest. Bring them to church on Wednesday night, um, and I'm excited about doing that. We'll uh, we'll deliver those boxes on November 20th. It's a Saturday, starting at 9 a.m. So, go ahead and mark your calendar for that. I believe that's all my announcements. I'm glad you guys are here. We're looking at Mark chapter 10. Uh, last week we we started a sermon. I told you I would not preach a two-hour sermon, uh, so you're 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 glad of that. I'm sure uh, you're welcome. And I didn't do that. And so uh, if there are some questions that are left unanswered today and you haven't got a chance to listen to last week's message, I'd encourage you to start there. Um, but as always, you know, we're just a phone call, a text message, an email away. Unless you're angry, and if that case, send your emails to Dave or Annie, and they'll, they'll take care of it. We're studying the gospel, of Mark, uh, and we're learning Jesus Christ is, is the king. Not just a king, he's the king of kings and in his life death and resurrection he has made powerless the destructive devices of evil they are powerless against him and he's established an everlasting and unshakable kingdom and here's the good news for all of us he's invited us each and every one of us no matter where you are in your life or your faith journey no matter what people have said about you or think about you no matter what you say or think about yourself Christ has invited you to be part of this kingdom that's good news In order to be part of the kingdom, there's one condition. You have to surrender your will to Jesus Christ as your king. That's the condition. You've got to make him the king of your life and surrender to him. Now, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ as your king, you become a citizen in his kingdom. And it's an irrevocable citizenship. You are forever part of his kingdom. And this citizenship, it involves a couple things. First of all, it involves adoption into the family of God. And so you become, the Bible says, a co-heir of Christ. Everything that Jesus deserves, all the blessing, all the honor that Jesus deserves, now he has also given that to you. He's also given us the same access that he has with the heavenly father he has given to us. And so now we have access to enter boldly into the throne room of God Almighty. That's good news. So we're adopted into the family of God. Here's the other aspect, and we don't think about this as much, but you've also been enlisted into the army of God. So Christ has stationed you here in Winchester. Your outpost is Christ Church of Winchester. And you are here to wage war against the evil powers and principalities of the city. Your prayers, your service, your character, your testimony is pushing back the enemy. The Bible says that when the light shines, the darkness has no, no choice but to flee. And so your, gr- the greatest untapped weapon of the church against the demonic influence in our city is the culture that we carry. It's the banner of Christ that we as a community bring forward into our city. That is our greatest weapon against the enemy. Our very way of life threatens Satan and his minions, just our existence. That's why in recent years, the church, the family, and the marriage has been under attack. Have you noticed that? At the beginning of the pandemic, godless politicians, Their first, the first thing they wanted to shut the doors of was what? The church. Godless teachers, not that all teachers are godless, but there are some out there, godless teachers, are wanting to indoctrinate your kids with godless ideas and ideologies. Godless culture wants to sabotage your marriage. So one of the most impactful things that you can do as a Christian is have a great marriage and raise godly children. That's why Jesus is such a proponent of marriage as we see in Mark chapter 10. Let's all stand together as we read the word of God. Jesus sat out from there and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Then the crowds converged on him again, and as was his custom, he taught them again. Some Pharisees came to him asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male male. And female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter. Verse 11, he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. My prayer today is that we will see what a miracle marriage is, and that we'll be inspired and empowered to guard that covenant at all cost. Let's pray. Father, thank you for each and every one of my friends that have gathered here today and everybody that's watching online. Lord, we have come together in this place. We close our eyes. We bow our heads. Lord, we sing praises to your name. We cry out to you in prayer because we all acknowledge, Lord, that we are lost without you. We have no hope, Lord. We have no help if we don't have you. And so we're here today, Lord, because we long for more of you. And so I pray that you'll, you'll set our hearts right. I pray that you'll open our ears. I pray that you'll open our eyes so that we can see, receive your word in the right way, so that we can apply it to our life for our good and for your glory. Father, I pray that you'll speak through me. I'm a sinner. I'm only saved by your grace. I'm not any better than any people in this room. I don't have it all figured out. And so they don't need anything from me, Lord. They need your very word. And so Holy Spirit, please have your way in this place today. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, pray a prayer or something like this. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it silently, but pray it and mean it. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Last week, we talked about divorce, and we learned that God hates divorce. Divorce, Jesus says, is a result of a sinful heart. He says that in verse 5. Jesus told them, he wrote this command to you because of the hardness of your hearts. And so what we talked about last week is that divorce is the result, it's the end product of a hard-hearted man and a hard-hearted woman, a hard-hearted couple having their way in the relationship. It's the end product of that. Now, there are some exceptions to that, and again, uh, if you're curious about what those exceptions are, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon. There are some exceptions, but by and large, especially in our day day and age, by and large, divorce is the work and the purpose of Satan, not of God, by and large. Divorce, especially among people who profess to be Christians, uh, it dishonors God because it undoes the miraculous work that God has done in bringing two people together. Verse nine, Jesus says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So that's why the Bible instructs us to guard the covenant of marriage at all costs and at all times. So I want to think this morning for a few minutes about what is so miraculous about marriage. Jesus talks about it in this passage. Verse six, Jesus says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Marriage isn't an arbitrary human invention or social construct. Now, that's what our culture would have you believe, that marriage is a human invention. It is not. Jesus says that marriage is part of God's created order. Jesus says marriage is one biological man and one biological woman joined together like two pieces of a puzzle. Any other combination... From a biological perspective, it literally does not fit. It's, it's unnatural. It's, it's forcing things. What happens when you take two pieces of a puzzle that don't go together and you force them together? What happens? It destroys the puzzle. Because it is God's creation. It is only by God's definition. Because marriage is God's creation. It's only by his definition. One man, one woman, for life. And so this concept, a current, a a more recent concept of open marriage, that you can be married, but you can go and sleep with whoever you want. That's an oxymoron. Apparently, I was surprised to find this out, that Will Smith and Jada Smith, his wife, apparently they have an open marriage. I think Will was surprised to find this out. There was a YouTube video. They had an interview. Got kind of awkward. Got kind of awkward. Open marriage, open marriage, oxymoron. No such thing. Same-sex marriage is an oxymoron. Adam and Eve, not, you've heard this before, Adam and Steve, or Anna and Eve, not those things. Transgenderism, non-binary, same-sex relationships, in reality is nonsense, and in, 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 in spiritual terms, it's rebellion against God's created order. Now, civil union... Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God. We as a church, we, we, we don't have anything, you know, uh, we can't say anything about the civil union. That's the government's deal, okay? But same-sex marriage is impossible. It's impossible. It is contrary, completely opposite of God the God-given definition of marriage. Just as much as we cannot rewrite the laws of physics, we cannot redefine the covenant of marriage. It's part of God's created order. In the beginning, one man, one woman, for life, for our good. Verse 7. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother. God created marriage in part as a mechanism for launching children into the world. Now, some of you know this to be true. If not for the biological, emotional, hormonal, and spiritual drive for procreation, boys will let their mamas cook dinner for them and wash their undies until they die. (laughs) Is that true? That's why we see, and this part of this is the proliferation of an access of pornography in our day and age, but this is what we're seeing more and more common. We're seeing men live in parents' basements until they're 35 and 40 years old. Because there's no drive for them. It's been replaced by this, uh, this perverted thing on a screen. There's no drive for them for that physical intimacy. Rapunzel will stay in her tower, pampered like a princess, until Prince Charming comes along and says, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, please let down your hair. If not for marriage, if not for the desire of intimate, lasting relationships, kids have no reason to grow up and have no reason to leave father and mother's house, which would be a problem because marriage is the building block of society. Biology tells us without procreation, humanity will go extinct. That's common sense, correct? In the same way, and just as clearly, sociology tells us without marriage, society will collapse. Statistically speaking, broken family leads to hell. As of 2019, there are 25 million children living in dad-deprived homes. 25 million. 63% of teen suicides come from a fatherless home. 70% of high school dropouts come from a fatherless home. 75% of kids in rehab come from a fatherless home. 80% of people that are rapists come from a fatherless home. 85% of youth in prison come from a fatherless home. 90% of homeless children come from a dad-deprived family. In a culture that increasingly says that fathers aren't necessary, we have 25 million kids who are saying, I wish I had a dad. Broken families lead to hell. But whole families usher in heaven. You see, marriage is one of the key institutions that God uses to manifest, to advance his kingdom. I want you to think about this. Son leaves mama and father's house. A daughter leaves daddy and mother's house. And they form a couple, a new family unit. This family unit, they do what God's called them to do. They're fruitful and they multiply. That's one of the very first commands from the Lord, is it not? They're fruitful and they multiply and they bear the image of God in their home as they do. They build this family, they build this home and they pass down godly culture from generation to generation. One child, one family at a time, they fill the earth and subdue it. Advancing the kingdom of God by procreation and replication. Jesus loving, Bible believing families bring heaven to earth. Now I want you to think about this. Uh, today as homework, I want you to do a Google search of demographic studies. This is what you're going to find out. If the current demographic trends continue in 50 years, can you guess what the, uh, the largest religious group in America will be? Mormons. You know, the second largest group, if, if uh, demographic trends continue, the second largest group of religious people in America will be? Amish. In Europe, do you know in 50 years, if, if trends continue, the largest group in Europe will be Muslims. Now, it's not because they're great evangelists. Actually, Muslims don't really believe in evangelism. Amish don't believe in evangelism. Mormons, whenever we see a Mormon in his tie, we run the opposite direction. So it's not. It's definitely not that. So, so what, what accounts for this? It's that these people have large families, and they devote themselves to raise their families in the faith. Friends, church, if we as Christians will devote ourselves to discipling our children and we make it our ambition, one of our primary ambitions, not that our kids grow up and play college baseball, not that they grow up and play professional soccer, not that they grow up and win every pageant, but we make it one of our primary ambitions that our kids grow up to love and follow Jesus And then our kids devote themselves to making sure that their kids grow up to love and follow Jesus. And then our grandkids devote themselves that they're going to raise their kids to love and follow Jesus. If we just make a culture of that in 50 years, Winchester will be a Christian city. Marriage is so important for advancing. Family building is so important for advancing the kingdom of God. You want to change Winchester, start by making your primary goal to disciple your children. Verse 8, Jesus says the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Matthew adds the detail here that you leave your father and your mother and you cling to your wife. That word cling, sometimes it's translated cleave. Uh, It's a word that literally means glued together. Jesus is quoting here from Genesis chapter two. In the Hebrew, the word for cleave or cling is a word that could really be translated a mingling of the souls. And so what Jesus is saying here is that marriage is life completing. It's life completing. Two puzzle pieces coming together to make one whole. Now, let me say this. Uh, Celibacy or singleness, it is an option for some. Paul says, actually, it's preferable in order to focus all your energy to serve the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, unless you're called to it and empowered and equipped for it supernaturally, celibacy is not an option for you. You will be miserable. What did God say after he had created everything? He said, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. There was only one thing that wasn't good. What was it? That Adam was alone. He said, it is not good for man to be alone. Men and women... We are distinct, but we're dependent. Now, this is a countercultural idea. We're Americans. We're strong. We're tough. We're all independent. The Bible said, don't be independent. Be dependent on one another. Two parts of a whole, distinct and dependent. And so marriage, it can be the most aggravating thing in your life. It can also be the greatest blessing of your life. I heard the tragic story recently of a man who died in his field, farmer. His son found him, and then he immediately went into the house and reported to his mother that his father had passed away. And she heard the news, and immediately she dropped dead. Uh, They think of a heart attack, but here's the reality. She died literally of a broken heart. Now, that makes sense when you've been with somebody for 50, 60, 70 years. It makes sense, and I think that's what we should be working towards. That's what we should be striving for in our marriage, that we're we're that in love, we're that devoted, we're that committed, we're that completed by our spouse that we could die of a broken heart. You know, I talked last week about J-Lo and Ben. They told me that they weren't actually married, so (laughs) let me clarify that. I got (laughs) fact-checked. But that, that, that couple doesn't inspire me. We always look at celebrities and works, No, I'm not inspired by that. I'm not inspired by Jay-Z and Beyonce. I'll tell you who I'm inspired by. Gerald and Joanne just celebrated 60 years of marriage. That's awesome. That's what I want. That's what God is calling us to, fully known and fully loved in our marriage, fully exposed and fully accepted. In Genesis chapter 2, it says of Adam and Eve, they were naked and they felt no shame. The two become one. According to every major study on this topic, married people are happier, healthier, and wealthier than any other demographic. Married people have better mental health. Married people have fewer health conditions. Married people recover from illness faster. Married people live longer lives. Married people even report the highest levels of sexual satisfaction than any Other demographic. Now, if we really, really believe that, then why is it that we encourage our kids to wait so long to get married? Why is it that we don't encourage and and affirm this beautiful thing, this life-giving thing that God has given us? Marriage is a beautiful gift that God has given us, and we have to protect it at all costs. That's why Jesus says this, verse nine, therefore what God has joined together Let no one separate. Here's another thing about marriage that we don't really think about. Marriage is a testimony of the work of God in your life. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and following, Paul says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul is quoting Jesus, who is quoting Genesis chapter 2. Then he goes on to say this in verse 32. Paul says, This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Paul says when he's talking about marriage, he is also saying something about Christ and the church. You see, one of God's main purposes in a marriage is to serve as an object lesson for the relationship that God has with his people. In other words, husbands, the way you love and serve your wife is teaching your kids what to think about how Jesus loves them. Wives, the way you respect and follow the lead of your husband is teaching your kids how to respect and follow the lead of Christ. Husbands, being hateful towards your wife will make it harder for your kids to trust and believe the love of Christ. Wives, being disrespectful towards your husband will make it harder for your kids to have respect for Christ. Here's another way to think about it. Our marriage and our testimony are inseparably intertwined. Our marriage and our testimony are inseparably intertwined. I can prove it. Many of you have had the misfortune of being part of a church in which the pastor had an affair on his wife. I want you to think back to how that affected you. It wasn't just emotional. It wasn't just relational. Didn't it have a spiritual effect on you? For many, that uh, affair that he had on his wife resulted in a crisis in faith in you. The betrayal of trust in his marriage resulted in a distrust from you about everything that he taught from the pulpit. I know people, 20 years after their pastor cheated on his wife, 20 years they've never stepped foot in a church again. Why is that? Because our marriage and our testimony are inseparably intertwined. What kind of testimony have Christian marriages had in the last 30 years? Our divorce rate in the church is no better than the divorce rate out in the world. So how can unbelievers truly believe the relentless love of Christ that we're always preaching to them if we have such weak commitments in our marriage? How can they believe in Christ as our Savior, the one that frees us from oppression, the one who takes the bondages off? How can they believe that about Christ, husbands when you're being oppressive towards your wife? How can they trust Christ to lead them wives when you won't trust your husband, to follow his lead. If the marriage relationship is supposed to be a representation of Christ's relationship with the church, I think we, in general at the church, in the church, have done a terrible job in the last 30 years. May it not be of our church. Amen? For the next few moments, I want to give you uh, some biblical wisdom on how to have a great marriage. And that's our ambition for you. We want you to have An amazing, a life-giving marriage. And so I want to give you a Bible verse. And this Bible verse, if you apply this Bible verse, you will never have any problems in your marriage. You'll never fight. You'll never argue. Ready? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. Where there is no oxen, the stall is clean. There you go. (laughs) You want the perfect marriage? You don't want to have to deal with the big steaming, stinky pile of something serious? You don't have to deal with that? Don't get married. Here's the truth. There are no perfect marriages. Doesn't matter how beautiful it looks on the outside. Doesn't matter how beautiful their pictures are on Facebook or Instagram. Doesn't matter how much they've got it, it looks like they've got it together. Every marriage takes work. It does. But here's the truth, friends it's worth it. Look at the second part of that verse. An abundant harvest comes from the strength of an ox. Marriage, it can feel like a burden. But if you do it God's way, it will be your greatest blessing. It can be the most abundant source of strength and joy and pleasure and peace in your life. Marriage can be your greatest legacy to your children and your grandchildren. Marriage can be your greatest Christian witness and testimony to our lost and dying world. So what does the work of marriage look like? Let me give you an action plan. And it's really very simple. It's not very complicated at all. The success of a God-honoring, life-giving marriage, it hinges, it rises and falls on the application of one verse, one passage, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy, and blameless. Husbands, men, the responsibility for the success of your marriage and your family, it begins and it ends with you. If there's problems in the marriage, if there's problems in the family, and Jesus comes knocking on the door looking for answers, he's going to ask for the man of the house. In the same way that Christ initiated the transformation in the church, men, it is up to you to affect the change in your marriage. How did Christ bring new life to the church? He loved her and gave himself up for her. How, did he, how do you men bring new life to your marriage? You love her and you give yourself up for her. Jesus Christ came with a king's agenda. At the climax of his mission, he climbed a mountain carrying a heavy burden with a crown of thorns upon his head. On Calvary, he reached the height of responsibility. Exhausted from the journey, he willingly confronted the greatest evil, saying, you will have to go through me in order to get to them. And after taking every assault from the enemy, after going to hell and back, Jesus rose up on the third day victorious, making this statement, the enemy cannot harm me, and I will not let the enemy harm my people. Turning to his bride, turning to you, Jesus says, there is now no condemnation. You don't have to be afraid. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will guide you. I will prepare a place for you so that you can be where I am. Men, when you get married, the Lord puts a sword and a shovel in your hands. Your mission is to build a castle and to battle off every dragon. Work with drive and joy to construct a fortress, a safe haven where your wife and your kids will know that they are safe and warm and well-fed, a strong tower in which everyone can let their hair down and celebrate the goodness and the blessings of the Lord, a beautiful place marked by abundance and peace and joy. And then daily, as you build, that castle, daily battle off and confront every evil that threatens your family. You look poverty and predators and perversion and passivity and purposelessness in the face. Look darkness and despair and disorder and division in the face. Look Satan in the face and you say, you'll have to go through me to get to them. Over my dead body will you harm my family. Men, you are the king of your castle. Be the type of king that Christ is. May your words and your deeds testify to your wife and children. You are loved unconditionally, and I will do anything and everything to protect and provide for you. Men, if you imitate Christ, the king in your marriage, it will be revolutionized. Your bride and your children will know that everything you do for them is for their good. You won't have to beg them to respect you. They will willingly trust and follow your leadership. Your family will be united in purpose and peace and your home will be marked by joy and hope. Ladies, what's your responsibility? Respond appropriately to his sacrificial love and service. Ephesians chapter five, verse 33, to sum up, Each one of you is to love your wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband's. Ladies, your husband needs fuel in order to sustain a life of sacrificial service. He can leave from this place, and for a couple weeks, he can will himself to do the right things. But at a certain point, he's going to need you to recharge him. How do you do that? I'm not talking about gravy and biscuits, although sounds good. I'm not even talking about sex, which I'm sure your husband won't turn you down on that. <laughs> Here's the fuel that every man needs, respect. He needs respect. Now, how do you do that? What's it, what's it look like? You, you Understand, your, hunger, your husband hungers for respect. I can prove it. In a couple weeks, when your husband has forgotten about this message, <laughs> I want you to go up to him. He'll be in the garage pilling on something. Maybe he's watching the game. And I just want you to say this statement to him. Honey, I really respect you. And then just walk out of the room. No more details. Leave him hanging. Whatever he's doing, he'll put it down. He'll turn the TV off. He'll stop eating. He's going to follow you around the house <laughs> like a lost puppy. <laughs> and he will ask you until he's blue in the face. Oh, you respect me, huh? Tell me more about this Respect. <laughs> Wives, look for ways to show appreciation to your husband. He thrives off that. One of the most powerful ways to show your appreciation and your respect for your husband is to follow his lead. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, following your husband's lead, submitting to your husband that does not mean becoming a second-class citizen. It does not mean being a doormat. It does not mean being a Stepford housewife. It doesn't mean any of those things. It also does not mean submitting or going along with or agreeing with your, your husband's sinful or selfish choices. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is when you have a husband who is doing his very best to imitate Christ in the home, when you have a husband who is selflessly protecting and providing for the family to the best of his ability, when you have a husband like that, Trust his motives and follow his lead. A few years ago, my wife and I, we went on a hiking trip for our anniversary. And uh, she really took one for the team because she does not enjoy to sweat. So this was not her first choice. But we went on a hiking trip and we, we hiked several trails. One of the trails we were on for quite a while, we came to a fork in the trail, the, the, the path split. And we weren't sure which direction to go. And so we sat there for a few minutes and, and I said, right, and she said, left. And so we argued for three or four minutes about which one of us was right. And finally, I said, okay, we're not going to stand here forever. We're going right. At this point, Erica has a choice. She can either go her own way or she could submit to her husband and follow his lead. Now, here's the thing about submission. You can only submit when you don't agree. You understand that? Submission doesn't come when you agree. That's just cooperation. Submit comes when we can't decide and, and we have to make a choice. And so in that moment, my wife being... God bless her soul, Uh, just a, a sweetheart. She went right along with me, and so we went to the right. About 20 minutes later, we realized that we had made the wrong decision. So we turned around and went Erica's way. Now, here's the question. Did she make a mistake in following me? Brothers and sisters, our destination is not in doubt. We are headed for a heavenly kingdom. And there is absolutely nothing that can divert our course. Uh, our, 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 uh, Our eternity is secure. It's not about the destination in your marriage. It's about the journey. It's not about where you end up. It's that you go there together. If Christ is at the center, if love and respect is the pattern, then you can't go wrong. Mark chapter 10, verse 9, Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Marriage is a high calling. It is part of the created order. It is the fabric of a prosperous civilization. It is your greatest blessing. It can be your greatest testimony, but it takes a lot of work. Love and respect, sacrificial service, and humble submission. It's a massive responsibility, and it's a very difficult task. But here's the good news. God is right in the middle of all of it. What God has joined together, Jesus says, let no one separate. God worked to bring you together, and listen to me, God is working to keep you together. Your job is not to fix your marriage. Your job is to participate with what God wants for your marriage. Don't try to do this under your own strength. I'd encourage each and every one of you today to get on your knees and pray. Some of you are here today and you need to pray for your unbelieving spouse. Some of you are here today and you're a husband and you realize I've not been carrying my sword or my shovel very well. And you need to pray that the Lord will empower you to sacrificially serve your family. Some of you ladies need to pray, Lord, give me a heart that wants to respect and appreciate my husband more. Some of you need to pray for your future spouse, but we all need to pray. If we partner and we depend on the work of the Lord in our marriage, we'll be strong. The Bible says that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of marriage. May the marriages in this church be strong and healthy. May they be marked by joy and peace and purity. May they be life giving to families and be a testimony to our lost and confused world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation, commitment, prayer, celebration. If you're here today and you're carrying a burden, whatever that burden is, you can bring it to the Lord. He does care about you. The Bible actually says you can cast all of your cares on him because he cares for you. And so if you're here today and you're carrying a heavy load, give us a blessing and let us pray for you. If you're here today and uh, you just need some help with your marriage, like I said last week, you're not in this alone. We all have a rough patch in our marriage. We all have difficulties, every single one of us, and we need help. The church is here for you. We will do everything within our power to help you to have a successful marriage. If you haven't already, I want to encourage you to take the emblems. Uh, We have crackers and juice on either side of the stage. These represent the body and blood of Christ. As you take communion today, if you haven't already, I want you to be reminded that Jesus, he climbed that hill and he beat off the dragon for you. He says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And although you've rebelled, although you've been adulterous, although you haven't been a good bride to him, he's been faithful husband to you. And so as you take these emblems today, be reminded of his love, be reminded of his commitment, be reminded of his strength. And as that love overwhelms you, may it inspire you and empower you to trust his motives and follow his lead. As we sing this song, come.